We acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. At the heart of it, I believe in low food miles and less wastage and the way to do that is to grow our own food in our own backyards and that's how I started. This is the Big Shift for Small Farms podcast. Hi listeners, I'm your host Edgar Greste. If you're looking to mix it up on your farm, then this is the podcast for you. You know when you read an article or hear about a great idea but don't know how to take action on it? Well that's where we can help. Each episode will highlight opportunities in the ag space. This series looks at topics from soil health to mental health and everything in between. We'll hear stories from people who've been there and done it to help you make the big shift. In this episode, we're looking at community-supported agriculture, what it is, how it works, and why it might just be the best way to grow your small-scale farming business. This model is the key why we are successful as small-scale farmers. There is no other way we would make it on the scale that we're at. We get the full retail dollar, and we are, for us personally, we're producing something that is chemical-free, ethical, where the animal is out in a natural environment, and regenerative. So we're putting carbon back down into the soil by the way we produce our food and manage our animals and land. And customers are looking for that type of food, and they're willing to pay for it. And that is what has made us successful. That's Shannon from Full Circle Farm. More from him a little later. But first, community-supported agriculture. What is it? Well, the concept originated in Switzerland and Japan in the 1960s, and it's all about connecting consumers with the origin of their food. Some women in Japan decided, actually a group of mothers, this is one story, that they wanted to have access to fresh fruit and veg for their kids. And so they conscripted a local farmer into it and said to him, grow just for us and we'll buy everything that you're growing. And the kind of the model started from there. And then it's, it's widespread in America. It's been going there for a long time. It's very popular, but newer in Australia. I'm Alice Warner and I have five serves produce. We're in Richmond, just on the outskirts of Sydney, on the Hawkesbury River, and we grow organically grown veggies for mixed seasonal veggie boxes. I remember being four and telling people I want to be a farmer, and I lived in Roselle in the city, that's where I grew up, and so people would laugh at me. And my grandpa had a double block on the banks of the Nepean River at Penrith, and so I'd go out there, he would be growing veggies, and I would just spend the whole time outside with him, picking snow peas and oranges and pruning things and uh, loved every minute of it. So I think it was there from a young age, but I don't know where it came from. Fast forward a few years. Alice grew up and trained as a school teacher. But it was after a tree change to Springwood, an encounter with Costa at a sustainability festival and a permaculture course, that the farming bug took hold. It was never enough, and I thought, I just want to do this all the time. And so uh, luckily my dad has always run his own business and, and he decided that I could do it and he pushed me and said, I'll help you and so he gave me the business advice and I grew the veggies and it started from there. There's an expectation in society that farmers work every day, every hour of the day. Most of my friends work and have a couple of days off whether that's the weekend or other days and so I decided that because my kids go to school I wanted to have weekends off when they were home and my partner was home and so I decided farmers markets weren't for me. If there was a middle of the week farmers market I would consider it but the other reason is that I prefer to 
pick my veggies knowing they're already sold because there's no wastage then. If I pick them and take them to market, I'm not sure if they're going to be bought. And I saw with my boss that I worked for before, there was a lot of wastage of things that came back from the market. So it just didn't sit well with me. Give me the spiel if I'm about to sign up for you. What do I get in the box and how does it work? So basically people go online. It's all through a website. They purchase six boxes and it can be weekly or fortnightly delivery or pick up from the farm. It's slightly cheaper. And once they've paid online, we get that information and we get their box ready we send them an email and say this is when you're going to get your first box and then on the Monday evening we send out the email newsletter with the picture of what's in the box with recipes that go with it and also news of the farm and what's happening and what's coming up in the future boxes or what got attacked by snails or whatever's happening and then we encourage people to email us back we also post on social media what's in the box that week and so people kind of don't know until Monday what they're getting, but once they've got it, at least they know how to use it. My name is Erin Marriott and I'm a customer of Five Serves Produce. With a young family, I feel really, really fortunate to have someone so local that can provide my family with really good quality, fresh, nutritious food. It's a bit of an adventure every time you get a box because you don't know what's going to be in it. Sometimes we'll get broccoli that's huge and bigger than the kids heads that always gives us all a laugh sometimes Alice puts a few extra funny shaped carrots in our box like we all have a giggle sometimes they look like people's it's just really good for the kids they get really excited when the box arrives actually people say it's like opening a Christmas present they really enjoy the surprise and we even though we post on social media what's in the box we often have a mystery item so some people will get snow peas some people will get broccoli some people will get something else and they never know until they open their box what their mystery item is and that allows us to have the end of the snow pea season where there's not enough for everyone and the beginning of the broccoli season where there's not enough for everyone and we we can make use of that but it also means that they get a surprise and they think it's fabulous. By doing the social media post you've sort of removed some of that anxiety but you still keep a bit of the magic in there. Exactly, yeah, and people really like that. And, it, and it, it is difficult for the real control freaks out there, but most people can come around to it or really love it from the start. And it is true seasonal eating, the way it's supposed to be. Another small-scale farm, up on the central coast between Newcastle and Sydney, is doing things a little differently to the conventional CSA model. I'm Shannon from Full Circle Farm. We're producing grass-fed and grass-finished beef, pasture-raised meat chickens, pasture-raised eggs, and soon-to-be pasture-raised pork. Being on the central coast, near the beach, Shannon and his wife Kylie saw that farmers' markets weren't necessarily the right fit for them or their customers. I think farmers' markets are fantastic and they're a real good step in the right direction, but I just think sometimes the weekend farmers' market can struggle to encourage that customer to do their food shopping on a weekend where they want to be at the beach. So weekday farmers markets, we, we are at one, the Avoca farmers market on the central coast, um, and then everything else is our food club set up through the week. The food clubs run fortnightly around the central coast and monthly around various northern suburbs of Sydney. How the food clubs work in a nutshell is on our website, we have a spot that our customers can sign up to a text reminder service and they select the, the suburb that's closest to them. And the day before the, the club is on, I send a text message from an app that I use on my phone. And there's plenty of apps you can use for group messages, but I think the one I use is called Simpler. 
without the E on the end, so just S-I-M-P-L-R. And I send out a text message and that has all the information, the address, and what we have for sale, prices. And the idea is we rock up to a suburb, so for example, your minor, and we have one of our customers who allows us to park in their driveway and everyone in that time frame, it's usually half an hour to an hour, comes and picks up whatever they want and that's you know card or cash we have a, a square app that we use and then we can obviously take cash as well and that is not a pre-order arrangement that is literally like a pop-up farmer's market and so what we do is we supply the beef chicken the eggs and soon to be pork and we also source off farmers that we know and trust that are a regenerative so lamb or hogget and a lot of seasonal veggie boxes, sweet potato, avocado, honey, the list goes on. So it's like a little pop-up farmer's market for people in their suburbs. So it's nice and close to where they live usually. And the text reminders are the key to everything. So, and not just that text reminder the day before, the, the most important one, we send them one more text reminder, one hour to a half an hour before their food club. And that just reminds people when they're in the busyness of their afternoon. On top of the food club and their midweek farmer's market, Full Circle Farm has also started taking pre-orders for direct delivery. But they have found that in this on-demand world we live in, people don't necessarily want to commit. So the food club struck a nice balance between flexibility and structure for them and their customers. So where we are more successful with our food club is that it's just a rock up if you want. And so we won't see people for a couple of months and they'll come back and stock up their fruit, their chest freezers, and then we won't see them for another two months. And that's fine. And then the disadvantage with the model we're using, I think, is that there's not as a much of a commitment as a CSA type of arrangement where they've paid in advance and they're committed to picking that up. So... I think there's pros and cons with each way. We've just decided to go with the um, just rock up if you want something way. Having decided to go down the casual commitment path, how does Shannon manage logistics around supply and demand? Take Alice from Five Serves Produce. She knows exactly how much to grow, pick and pack for her customers and she does it all on site. Whereas Shannon has slightly more complex logistics when it comes to managing livestock and deciding how much meat to produce. So how it works with logistics is we've timed our chicken abattoir run to once a fortnight. So that's where we take our meat birds down to the abattoir and they come back in our cool room. And so we've timed our food clubs to be two days after we process meat chickens. And then we try and time our beef, which we usually do once a month, to line up with the food clubs as well. So we're planning our food clubs around when we're processing our animals. So that means that we can get produce out there fresh to people. And most of the time it's just chilled. But then we also uh, all about educating customers about, hey, frozen meat is actually not the enemy and it's quite fine. And so a lot of our customers are used to just buying frozen office when we haven't processed beef that fortnight. The food club has evolved over the last two years since Shannon has been on the farm full time. What does he think about his approach since he started? I think if I look back in hindsight, I was a little bit conservative. I was always selling out of, you know, large chickens and a lot of other things. So I think there's a, there's a bit of a, a leap of faith there. But we've just grown as our food clubs have grown. So 
we've found with our, say for example, our meat chickens that are out on in the paddock, we've we've slowly increased. We were doing, uh, I think maybe 70 a fortnight, and we've gone up to 150, and then 180, and now we're at 250 a fortnight. And that is a little bit out of our comfort zone. If you can imagine, we would be moving maybe 180 birds a fortnight through our food clubs and our online shop and everything like that. So 250 is just a little bit out of our comfort zone where it encourages us to market um, and to reach some more customers. So that's that's the balance point, isn't it? It's just knowing how much to have out in the paddock and then knowing how much to have in the freezer. But putting logistics to the side for a moment, what does a food club delivery actually look like? I have my little routine, so I'd pull up. I've sent the text message reminders to everyone half an hour before. I get my whiteboard out, my table, the float, the scales. <laughs> Sounds like a lot, but it's not. And then I have a big display of you know sweet potatoes, potatoes, onions, raw honey, kimchi, sauerkraut. So people can kind of select those sundry items and, and then we just leave the meat in the cool room. And it's a really cool vibe. Like a, a couple of our clubs are, are quite big and there's a lot of people that knows each other. So there's a lot of, oh, you know, the customer looks at someone else and says, I didn't know you come here. And you know, it's a really cool little way to build a community around real food. So that community vibe sounds awesome, but how do you build that tribe? Where do you start? My name is Lizzie Buscaino. I work for Piccolo Farm, well I own Piccolo Farm as well. Together with my husband, we both take care of the half an acre market garden at the farm, where we grow a mixed range of vegetables, both for CSA boxes and restaurants, as well as specialised in edible flowers. Uh, mostly it's actually through word of mouth or social media. We do do the annual steam train festival that's located here in Thurmi, mostly just to show ourselves and make ourselves known. And then I've done a few different speaking or advocacy events. And at times like that, we do end up reaching out to people that are interested in receiving food that come directly from the farmer or that is um, seasonal, you know, more sustainable from a mileage perspective or just wanting to have organic food but I do find that most people find us either this through Instagram or through googling or yeah quite a few through word of mouth. Trying to explain the concept to people and how it works when it's not really common in Australia can be quite difficult and they say well why can't I choose or do I have to pay up front can I just buy one box can I come to the farm and buy it on the day so there's a lot of education around that and that takes a lot of time in terms of getting our, ourselves out there we did a lot of Facebook advertising but we also have like a strong social media presence so posting things that educate people about why local food is important why eating food with like leaves of kale with holes in it is okay things like that that really make them think differently about veggies a lot of farmers have that trap of, okay, well, this day and age, I need to get a Facebook and Instagram account and, you know, advertise our meat for sale. And that is the opposite to what we did. So when we first started, 
we, we yes we did have stuff for sale but what we were sharing on our social media was not this is for sale that's for sale it was actually inviting people in to follow our journey as farmers getting this farm up and running and producing healthy food also educating them about why it costs what it costs so that the labor costs involved in organic production the fact that we're a business that has to pay rent and pay electricity bills like any other business but also has a huge infrastructure cost I think what we're trying to do with our social media is be 100% transparent. So I will talk about how we manage our cattle. I'll talk about soil, grass. I will sometimes do a video and get on a rant about why free-range eggs are different to pasture-raised. And it's, a, it's an education for customers as well. So they're getting the kind of the inside scoop and inviting them to follow the journey of farming in an ethical and regenerative way. And then the sales just happen from that. As the CSA model is relatively new in Australia compared to other countries, educating the public is key to getting them on board as customers. And when it comes to signing people up for your CSA, there are many different ways to do it. Our subscription model has changed. We used to do a season at a time, so everybody's subscription would run out all at once. We've changed it now so that people can join any time. So I have different people's subscriptions running out each week, and that's been much better for our cash flow because we have constantly people renewing as well as new members coming on board. I basically just judge it each week. We have a proper business plan. I use zero accounting software, and I'm looking at my cash flow and my profit and loss. And if we haven't made enough sales for that month and it's the middle of the month, then I'm going to do a big email drive or social media drive to try and get more customers to meet that monthly target. For Alice, she has members sign up to a fixed term. She gets the payment up front, which helps with all those initial setup costs for the growing season. But this model doesn't necessarily work for everyone. The demographics in our local area, most people wouldn't be able to pay a full season up front of vegetables. They just don't have, you know, five, six hundred dollars that they can fork out on veggies. And from the point that we were coming, wanting to supply the local community, we couldn't then turn around and say, well, you know, either you do this or we won't supply with the vegetables. That's just, you know, it goes against our other ethics. So we chose to set up a direct debit instead so that they are charged on a fortnightly basis. And we found as well that it was a lot less admin and people can just go to our website, sign up to start the veggie boxes. And then we normally communicate with them via text message or email. They can choose whether they want a weekly or a fortnightly box, so we'll charge them for one or two boxes every fortnight. And that way people are able to pay us as they go. It's not the true US version of the CSA share where, where people have really put in a huge investment. But on the other hand, it means that we are able to supply a lot of people that would have no chance of eating our vegetables. And I think that's not a choice that we wanted to make to just exclude such a big portion of our local community. I mean, I myself would struggle to put down five, $600 and pay my food up front for such a long period of time. So why should I expect that from somebody else? And I also find that because we don't have a season end and then re-signing people for a new season, we also have a higher level of longevity with our customers because it's an ongoing commitment. And if they really want to cease buying vegetables from us, we, we normally give them a two-week notice period. We've found that the longevity of the time that they spend with us is still longer. So in the end, I think everyone wins by having a little bit more flexibility. So a little flexibility can go a long way. 
But what about Shannon and the rock up if you want to approach? How's his cash flow going? The cash flow, in my opinion, is pretty good because you're getting something every second week. There's there's money coming in. But yes, there is times where there's quiet time. So in general, winter seems to slow down a bit. When we're doing our food clubs in the afternoon and night, you know, sometimes it's 14 degrees out and in dark and we've had food clubs on in torrential rain and people kind of you know are there with their umbrellas so yes there are quieter weeks because of a range of range of reasons but as we go on longer the it's averaging out to be a lot more of a smoother cash flow and we use the square app so it's card or cash on the spot so we're getting that income the next day we're not putting out invoices anymore and waiting for however long and having to remind customers to pay the square app we use i think is 1.9% per transaction I tell a lot of people it's the best 1.9% I've ever spent. <laughs> it is so handy and I just have the square point of sale. And yeah, so the money's coming in consistently and we also have some other avenues of selling on our off week. So we do the Avoca Farmers Market, which is on a Wednesday and that kind of balances out that cash flow from week to week. I think the problem where we've had with cash flow is just because we're in that expansion phase. So any money that's coming in is going straight back into expanding the business and, and buying more infrastructure to get us set up. But we're slowly coming out of that phase in our business where we're now starting to take a small wage. My wife is finishing her part-time teaching role and she's going back to casual and will be pretty much on the farm full-time. So it's all these nice little steps of expanding to that point where we can start pulling a wage and not having to put so much money back into expanding the business. So yeah, the cash flow, if anything, it's been a little bit tight lately just because we've been challenging ourselves and reinvesting that back into building the business. For farmers and consumers alike, the CSA model is a different approach to buying and selling produce. But it's so much more than that. It's creating a different way of experiencing food and the way it's produced. Food and farming and advocacy for me, like they're almost inseparable. My name is Joel Orchard and I'm co-founder of the CSA Network for Australia and New Zealand, which is a network for uh, CSA farmers throughout the country and also a platform for information and resources. Anyone who's in this kind of alternative food sector is all kind of working towards how do we support more people to access good quality local produce outside of the supermarket duopoly that local food economies offer so many advantages, it's still quite new here. And I think because we've had, you know, these kind of supermarkets that have dominated the Australian uh, food landscape for such a period of time and trying to help people uh, learn how to access food outside of that system comes with a whole lot of education. It's a different experience as well to the food that they normally could get from the supermarket where they may only choose the same thing over and over again is that their culinary interests and their methods of cooking and just the whole family's, I guess, habits have changed after they started receiving the veggie boxes and they have been very welcoming of that. 
I've had numerous people say to me, you know, I never liked Brussels sprouts till I tasted yours because they're fresh. My little boy wouldn't eat tomatoes, but you gave us yellow tomatoes and suddenly he was eating tomatoes because he likes the colour yellow. Or, wow, that's a green cauliflower. I never knew that existed. So the excitement of, of having something that may not yield well enough for the big commercial growers to grow it, but in a small CSA situation we can grow it, is another benefit I think that people love. We're eating things that we never have tried before. We've had a lot more experimenting in our kitchen. Um, We've been discovering things that we never knew about before. So we're both passionate about cooking in our house and we're trying to not waste anything now. So when we get a bunch of carrots with the carrot tops still on, we'll make pesto out of it, which is something we'd never thought to do before. Um, But when you kind of appreciate how much work has gone into producing your food, you're a bit more dedicated to eating all of it. I do have quite a few customers who will send me pictures of their dinners as well and be very excited about that. And I, I get, I'm nerdy as well. Like I get super excited about seeing that. But I think also for me it reinforces that what we're doing is a good thing and that people like it. Are there any uh, really far out vegetables that you've tried to introduce, you know, to sort of surprise people? Kohlrabi still surprises people. They really don't know what to do with it because my partner's Austrian and he wants me to have it. So, you know, people are getting it whether they want it or not. But we've also done things like cucumelons, little little tiny mouse cucumbers. We've done little snacking capsicums that kids can take in their lunch boxes. And then, you know, things like golden cauliflowers. I, I just try and get something that's not too out there. So it's still a very common vegetable, but maybe it's a different colour or a different shape or a different size. Um, and they're usually pretty popular as long as you still do have to have carrots and broccoli and lettuce and in winter and you've got to have tomatoes and cucumbers in summer because people love them because they're nice. <laughs> but, you know, you can add these other things in. Everyone is on their own food journey, which means new experiences for customers and managing some expectations along the way too. But for Alice at Five Service Produce, what may have looked like a difficult customer for some she saw as an opportunity. She believed passionately in local food, but she didn't have a lot of education around what that really entailed. So she came to pick up her first box. We talked about what was in the box. She face-to-face said that she loved it. Then she went home and wrote me an email about how it wasn't good value for money and she would eat it all in two days and it wasn't enough. And over the course of those 12 weeks, she had to come back each week and pick up a box. So she was forced to engage with me. And we slowly talked about it and I educated her and I showed her things. And by the end of it, she was telling her friends about it and really passionate and growing her own food at home and realising how challenging it is. So just by keeping that relationship, we turned that around. People say, oh, you know, what if someone else starts up this model? And I say, great, I need 10 CSA farms in my area. I can't possibly grow enough to feed everyone. The phrase that's used is the solidarity economy. So you're working in solidarity with your producer so that everybody benefits, but everybody in that relationship is also sharing the risk, which is not something that we do when we just pay for something across the counter. We actually had a situation this year where for the whole month of February we we stopped because it was really hot, the crops failed, and we just paused everyone's subscriptions and said, you know, you're not going to get veggies for a month, this is why. We were quite transparent about it. And then we picked back up again and, and a lot of people still wanted to pay for those four weeks, even though they weren't getting veggies because they were passionate about it and they could see it was out of our control. 
We had about 300 tomatoes and we were we were so on the ball with the tomatoes this year um, that it was just, you know, it was quite a blow for us to find that the polytunnel blew away and we had no methods of rebuilding. We needed about 18,000 in, you know, a matter of two months. And at the beginning of the season, that's something that is hard to come by because we've already gone through the whole winter period and it's normally a slow period for us. So after a lot of thought, we agreed to have a GoFundMe page put up for us. And within one week, there was $10,000 that had been submitted to that GoFundMe page. And after another week, there was another almost three grand that had been submitted to that GoFundMe page as well. And that was just the local community and, you know, obviously family and friends as well, you know, really pitching in to make sure that we were able to rebuild the polytunnel in time for the tomato season. You know, I'm tearing up as I say because I just, I still can't believe that we went through that process and we came out the other end and everyone was so helpful. It's just, it's beyond my own words really, because I, yeah, I knew that we had strong connections in the community, but I did not, I could not fathom that it was going to have such an effect that people were able to back us and willing to back us without any question. What we, we found is the most important thing was relationships with other farmers. With small scale farming and, and especially this regenerative agriculture crew we've got, we need to stick together. And what we try and do with the food club is I come to our other farms and say, okay, what would you need to charge to make this viable for you? Because this needs to be a long-term thing. You need to get the return, the margins that you need to be consistently successful doing this. The partnerships with other farms has been so crucial to get to where we're up to at the moment. What's your advice for that person who perhaps has not even started growing? What's your advice in terms of taking the first steps in terms of the, the business model? If you haven't worked on a commercial farm, like if you've only grown your own veggies in your own backyard, before you start your own business, go and work on a farm. One that's got markets, that's selling the produce, that it is at least breaking even, if not turning a profit. So you can see what a, a working farm looks like. And then the other thing I'd say is save some money or have an investor because unlike a physiotherapist who needs to rent a space and start their business, on a farm you need a huge infrastructure upfront payment for things like irrigation, tractors, polytunnels, seeds, compost. So you, you need to have some money behind you. You need to do a proper business plan and really see where your markets are going to be, who's going to pay to keep this business going because you can't do it out of the goodness of your heart. It's backbreaking work and you'll kill yourself. Put your marketing and your distribution more important than your production. It, it really is. If, if you're going to go down this road, Yes, you need to be a good farmer, good producer, you know, look after your animals, of course. But the most important thing is how you market, telling your why and developing that effective distribution method that is convenient for customers, but also convenient for you as well. Have some sort of event or farm tour and get people out to the farm. Make sure your farm is 
safe and looks good enough for people to come and visit because they want transparency. I'm not certified organic. My customers couldn't care less if I'm certified organic because they come to the farm and they see what I do and they ask me questions. So you have to be transparent. You have to be willing to be honest and open and share yourself. I think people just resonate with what we're trying to do. There's a bigger picture that people, you know, they want to be part of. They want to try and maintain small-scale farming. They want to try and maintain local farmers. I mean, we are achieving what we're setting out to achieve, and that's just feeding other local families. Do anything you can to dispel the stereotypical myth that a farmer has to be on a tractor, has to be male, has to be older, has to be in a cotton field or a wheat field. I'm in the edge of Sydney, so in my case, show people that there are farms in Sydney. I think there are a lot of people that don't even know there are farms in Sydney. So just have that interaction with your local people, grow for your local area. And I'm really passionate about just minimising food miles because there's markets right next door to you, so make use of them. This podcast has been produced by the Grow Love Project on behalf of Greater Sydney Local Land Services through funding from the Australian Government's National Land Care Program. Thanks to everyone who participated in the making of this episode. You can find out more about them in the show notes. To listen to other episodes, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and if you know someone who could benefit, please share it with them. Thanks for listening.